Welcome to episode 11 of the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson. This week, we have an interview with John Brigger, designer of Mars Rover, formerly Mission Control, for news. Groves by Stephen Armini and Dan Lettering is still on Kickstarter, doing quite well, getting through stretch goals, so go check that out. Looks like a great game, great art. For a contest, the Gen Can't Roll and Write contest, submissions are due July 1st, so you still have a couple weeks to get that in. The Korea Board Games 2017 Design Contest, due June 30th. The Game Hole Dungeon Crawler Challenge, due August 15th. The Manhattan Project Dice Challenge, due September 12th. And the Hidden Movement Challenge, due October 23rd. You can get the links for all of these on the show notes at theboardgameworkshop.com. Now, on to the interview. I'm here with John Brieger, designer of Mission Control, and he is here to talk about how to playtest. So, John, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Chris. Great to be on. So let's start with how'd you get into gaming and what got you into game design? Yeah, so I'm actually a designer by trade as well as a game designer in my spare time as well. And so when I was studying, I had a lot of design and art coursework where we had these project-based studio courses. And as part of that, I ended up making a lot of board game prototypes. And all of these were things where you would make a prototype, you would test it a couple times and polish it a little bit, and then you just leave it there. So I came out of university with about six or seven fairly nice prototypes that I just shelved. And when I started working, I put them on the shelf and said, now I'm out of school and this is no longer a thing I do. And last year I was thinking a lot because I play a lot of games and I thought, you know, I am a professional designer and I know I can take these games through to a point where they're, they're publishable. And I think people are really going to enjoy them. So I pulled what I thought was the best of that work. And I've started some new projects since then as well. So let's, let's move into this data collection. So tell us how you collect data for playtests. What are some of the things to do, some of the things to avoid? Yeah. So I work as a designer and a design researcher for a big retailer. And so my core job is actually designing studies to look at customer behavior, flow through the store, and then analyzing qualitative data. And so I think a lot of people think of research as this very scientific process, and you have an experiment and you have a control, but there's actually a whole body of research that's all about looking at qualitative data. It draws a lot from anthropology and a lot from behavioral psychology. And I approach a lot of my playtesting in that vein. And so if you look at some of the common playtesting tips, a lot of them say the same things, which are obviously playtest a lot. That's incredibly, incredibly important. But there's some ways that you can be really maximizing your playtest feedback. And I write about it a little bit on my blog. I'm starting to get a little more body of, of work out there. But one of the things I always try to tell people is you should be constantly taking notes or recording audio or recording video. It's something uh, Matt Leacock, who also has a similar background in user experience design, also really evangelizes as well as this idea of video recording your playtests. 
And the reason you want to be doing that is because you want to be watching for players' reactions to moments in the game. And if you're looking at the engagement of a player over a course of time, you can be tracking what are the parts of your game where people are really, really engaged with it, and what are the parts of your game where maybe it's not necessarily that they're not having fun, but where are they less engaged? Where are players not paying attention? And in order to really do that effectively, you need to be a step removed from the game. So you see a lot of even fairly experienced board game designers will be playing in their own playtests. And this is something that as a researcher is a huge, huge no-no. Uh, I would recommend everyone essentially play your game for fun, play your game with your co-designer or periodically, but you can get far better data out of your playtests if you just stop playing your own game and you spend the whole session watching and taking pages and pages and pages of notes. It's hard to step back sometimes. I know um, I'm in a game design group in Boston and every night we get together a group and we basically play two games in the group. And usually you're forced into playing your game because there's a limited number of players. But when you're lucky enough to step back and watch people, it's really much more helpful. Yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons that uh, Rob Davio and, and Matt Leacock uh, talk a lot about in their playtesting tips. When they send remote blind playtests to people, they'll actually ask them to record video of it as well. Because if you're only looking at the feedback at the end of the game, you're missing 80% of the data you can be capturing out of a test. Because the game isn't just what people think about it at the end. The game is the experience of playing it all the way through. And so if you're not capturing that from your own objective standpoint, and you're relying on players to self-report, you're going to end up with a lot less actionable data. Let's talk about this survey you have running about game designers and how they play test. Yeah, so there is not a lot of really good information out there about how designers test their games. And if you look, and because I do a lot of Googling on this subject, a lot of it is individual designers, whether they're some of them are well-known, some of them are people like me who maybe have a, a specific background or expertise, will share their tips for how to test. But there's not a lot of information out there about what I would say the state of playtesting in game design. And so I wanted to capture a kind of industry report, something very similar. Cardboard Edison recently published one last year, I believe, for publishing contracts, where they compiled a lot of statistics about what are common terms that the designers are being offered. And I wanted to compile something similar about how designers playtest their games. So I launched it actually at the time of this recording. It's been about four days that it's been open, and I'm going to be running it through the end of the month of April, which will be before this podcast airs, and have already gotten about 250 responses and some really, really interesting uh, data points I can already start pulling out. So I haven't done all of the analysis yet, and the sample size is obviously still growing, but you can already start to see some some very, very interesting trends. So just a, a kind of a little little sneak peek of what some of the data is, is going to look like. So of all the respondents, actually about 85% of the game designers are intending to release their game to the general public. So that remaining 15% might be 
people who are working on it for specific projects, uh, making a game for a special audience or event, or making a game just for their family. But of that 85% that's trying to release a game, a little more than half are trying to license to a publisher, and a little under half are trying to publish the game themselves. And that's something I th was very, very surprising to me, is how big the percentage of people who are trying to self-publish their games. Because when you look at a playtesting and development process, there's a lot less gateways for you to be going through when you're trying to self-publish because it's on the designer to understand when the game is considered finished. Yeah, it's definitely one of the dangers of self-publishing is there's no one to tell you no. Yeah. And so I think actually compiling data like this is really helpful for people who are intending to self-publish. And that's not the route that I am going down with my designs, but it's useful to know how much are designers who are taking their game to publishers playtesting before they consider it to be done. How often are they playtesting a month? What types of data are they, are they collecting? And so you can already see really big difference in the trends between designers who say that their intent is to self-publish versus designers who say their intent is to license to a publisher, especially designers who say they're going to license and have already published games. And huge breakdowns in things like average playing time of a game. So designers who have yet to publish a game are 45% more likely to be working on a game that's 60 minutes or over in the current sample. So really, really interesting breakdowns in terms of the types of games people are working on uh, and how often they're testing, as well as, again, that who, whether they or a co-designer are playing in their tests. Experienced designers are running more remote tests, more tests where they're not playing in the game themselves. Do you think some of that comes from more experienced designers have a bigger name and it's easier for them to pull in outside playtesters? In, in some ways, yes. I think remote testing certainly is easier if you have more of a name. But I, would, I think I would challenge the, the assumption that an unknown designer can't get or run effective playtests. I mean, I am certainly a, a new designer. I just signed my first game and I have a couple more that are in the pitching stages, but I'm by no means in a, an established name in the board game industry, but I'm able to run, at least for the past six months or so, upwards of about 15 playtests a month and have had really no trouble recruiting people to play games. Well, that is a great segue to how do you get people to playtest your games? So there's a, a couple different ways to go about it. Part of it is about venue and community. So I am fortunate enough that I have lived for the past year in two very well-populated areas. I was in London for most of the last year, and now I'm in the Bay Area in California. And so the board game community there is obviously very large. But if you are even in an area with an existing community, I apologize to listeners who are a little more remote, you should be leveraging your your local community. So whether that's playtesting with other designers and trading tests, which is an extremely valuable way to get extra tests in on your game, or attending small local conventions. It's not just all about, can I go to the Gen Cons, the Origins, the BGG Cons, but it's about those little local ones where 
the organizer is going to be okay with you taking a table and open gaming all day and, and sitting and inviting people to play your games. So there's that kind of local community engagement aspect. And then there's also some tips in terms of getting and recruiting effective online playtesters. I think a lot of what you see is people will just kind of post their game and say, this is a game and I have a PNP available, please come test it. And that's not an incredibly effective way to recruit people if you are an unknown designer like me. So I actually look to build a small testing community. So I have a private Facebook group for my game mission control where every so often as new significant developments would be happening during testing, I would be posting out to major board game Facebook groups or forums saying, this is a game I have in development. This is why it's special. I'd include a, a nice image of the prototype in action uh, saying, here is a game. I think you will have fun playing it. And if you're interested in being part of the game design process, come join this group. And so you're not just saying you enjoy games, so why don't you play this game in development? It's about involving your playtesters and making them feel like they're part of contributing to the final game and to the final product. Interesting. What about incentivizing playtesters like a free copy of the game or prizes or anything like that? Any thoughts on that? So I I do incentivize playtesters in that group. I do rounds of giveaways. So typically it'll be either a month or two months. And I'll say every playtest that you provide at feedback on is going to be worth one entry into this giveaway. And if you also log this data, that's worth one additional entry, depending on what I'm focusing on in that iteration of development. If you video your whole playtest, that's worth three entries, etc. And then I'll, at the end of the month, I will draw two names out of all the entries and send games to those two people. So if you look at kind of your cost per unit to run those tests, because it is PNP, I'm giving away about between 40 and $80 of game, depending on what games people want at the end of every two months. So that's about, you know, $40 a month budget, which if you're going actually to a convention or, or similar, you're going to be spending more than that just on, on tickets and food and whatever. That's yeah, uh, not a bad ROI. So has that been working out for you? The incentivizing gets, gets people going or... I would say it's certainly helpful. It's actually, it's very helpful for drawing people into the group as well. But a lot of it really is my most dedicated testers aren't the ones who are doing it just to enter these contests. They're doing it because, again, they, they feel like they're contributing something back. And so that's something I always really like to see. And I get tons of feedback from them, even when I don't have these these contests active because I don't, I'm not running them continuously. So for your playtests, how do you go about collecting the data? You do a lot of remote. Do you have them do a survey? Do you just rely on videos or them writing up reports? How do you get the data? Uh, videos is very strongly preferred for me, but I kind of do it in tiers. So I, I write a playtesting guide that I keep as a Google Doc and I share out to all my playtesters that talks about not just what is the type of data that I'm looking for, but actually is a little miniature guide in how should you run a playtest? Because a lot of people you recruit online, some of them are gonna be people who have 
been experienced developers or have tested games for other companies, but a lot of them, this may be their first time ever playtesting a game. And so you need to teach them a little bit about what playtesting is and what the purpose of it is. At the same time, you're teaching them what types of feedback you want. And so that guide covers, this is how you might want to introduce the game to your group. Uh, this is how you, in advance, prepare them for the fact that it's a prototype and not all the components are going to be final quality. And that's not necessarily the goal of the test. And then in addition, it covers things like, if possible, record video. But if you can't, at the end, when you're writing down feedback, do an audio recording of all the feedback if everyone's okay with it. Because if you're just relying on them to write down everything, writing feedback or typing feedback is actually a fairly time-consuming process for testers. So I try to make it as easy as possible and just say, if you can record audio of your end game discussion, you can just send that to me and I'll count that as you know, full entries for whatever this month's giveaway is. If you're doing a live play test, you're there and you're getting in-person feedback, what are some tips you would have for people in that situation? Because I know, especially with new designers, as soon as they hear any bad thing, they get very defensive and that is not the way to take feedback. Yeah. And, and again, I think that's an advantage I have is I am a new designer, but I come from a design background. And I think a lot of game designers are learning design skills, like how to take criticism of their work and separate it from criticism of them at the same time they're learning game design. Whereas that's something if you've been through art or design school, you just get mercilessly ripped apart in your, your studio critiques. So don't be defensive, absolutely. Number one, it's something even I still have a hard time with. I think everyone does because you do put a lot of heart and soul in your game, but you need to understand that critique of your work is not critique of you. And so when playtesters give that feedback, you wanna actually encourage it as much as possible. And so one of the things you will often see is a newer designer will hear negative feedback. And even if they're really good, they might say, uh, thank you, like that's really interesting, but then they won't write it down. And playtesters are looking at what you're writing down. So one of the things I always tell people is continually smile, nod, and write everything down, even if what they're saying makes absolutely no sense, because playtesters, again, they wanna feel like they're involved in the process. And so if you're not writing their feedback down, that's a, a sign for them to check out and maybe stop providing feedback. So you, ha you have that where you just wanna be right, again, writing everything down, but you also want to be making sure that you are guiding them in their feedback because again, most playtesters won't have given a lot of feedback before. So whether that's introducing at the beginning of the test saying, here are some things that I'm specifically looking at and leading them a little bit towards giving feedback on certain areas of the game or caveating saying, these are not final components. I'm interested in feedback on things other than the component quality and artwork. That's all really, really important in terms of limited time because you want to respect your playtesters' time and the time they spend giving feedback at the end of the game is time they're not necessarily playing your game or playing another game they might be enjoying. So you don't want to drag out that discussion forever and ever because I think every designer could talk about their own games 
for days and days and days. So that's that's another good point. How do you separate good feedback from bad feedback? So there are a lot of different methods. I tend to look at ways players feel, and this is something comes up again in playtesting advice from experienced designers. Your playtesters are not there to redesign your game, and sometimes the solutions that they suggest to problems are really useful or are close to the right solution or even the exact right solution to fix something. But you want to look at if the the player says, well, what if instead of getting three coins at the start, we all got five coins at the start, what they are feeling that's causing them to make that suggestion. So are they feeling like they don't have enough money? Are they suggesting that because they don't feel like they have enough to do and they thought that if they had more money, they might have more things to do during the game. And so that's, again, one of those things where you want to be really watching during the playtest because that's where you're going to be able to understand some of the root motivations and some of the desires that players have that cause them to give certain types of feedback. I would say bad feedback tends to be overly specific and... I think that's counterintuitive because people would assume that incredibly specific feedback is more valuable, but it's your job as a designer to be sorting through all of your data and understanding which systems in the game you need to tweak or improve. So what you really want is actually to aggregate and understand where in your design you should be focusing for your next iteration. And so a method I like to use is something called affinity diagramming. It's also called the KJ method. And we use it a lot in user experience design to analyze qualitative data. And essentially, you put each point of feedback on a single piece of paper or a sticky note, and then you group them in by a rough category or grouping. Uh, so you're putting them one by one into groups. Then you look at all of the groups, decide if any of them are functionally identical or if any of them are so large that they need to be split out into smaller groups, then you give each group a name, and then you might group several groups into a larger theme. And that's a incredibly easy process. It's, it's very quick when you're sorting through data, and it lets you understand if I have a bunch of feedback that's all about this issue, maybe there's a larger system in my game, maybe there's a, a root cause that I'm looking at. And if you ever look at photos of design studios and you see these big walls covered in sticky notes, that's usually what they're doing. And it's used in design studios all across the country. Oh, that's a really good idea. So we are almost out of time here. So I would love to have you back on again after you finish the survey and get the data and go over that again once you have things filled out. That would be awesome. Um, do you want to just promote anything you have upcoming and give people your contact info if they want to follow up with you on any of this? Yeah, absolutely. If you're interested in the results of that playtesting survey, please go ahead and check it out. It should be up on blog.johnbrieger.com. That's J-O-H-N-B-R-I-E-G-E-R.com. And if you're interested in contributing maybe to some of that remote playtesting for my game, Mission Control, uh, it's a fabulous, fabulous game. It's going through a development phase right now with the publisher, so I should have good support for my playtesting group in terms of giveaways, prototypes, etc. 
And in that game, players are rival scientists at the International Space Agency, and you share control of a single rover on a distant planet. So it's a competitive game, but everyone has to share control of a single piece. It's got some really, really interesting decision-making. So if that appeals to you, go ahead and check that out. That's uh, facebook.com slash groups slash mission control testing. And I will be happy to add people to that group if you want to check out the way that I run my playtesting programs personally. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being on the show, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, great talking with you, Chris. That does it for this episode. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can find it on Twitter at the BG Workshop, on Facebook.com slash the Board Game Workshop, and email the Board Game Workshop at gmail.com. Show notes are on the Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.